Welcome to Living a Better Life podcast with your host, Madeline Golick. This is a weekly podcast exploring a variety of topics on how you can live a better life, not just physically, but in all aspects of what it means to be human living in a modern world. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not replace professional or medical advice. This podcast is sponsored by Ecophysiotherapy, where their mission is to educate, empower, and rehabilitate you back to health. Without further ado, please enjoy the show. Welcome back to our wonderful listeners. In today's podcast, we're going to be exploring the relationship between food, stress, and inflammation. My guest today is Linda Lukovic. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So, Linda, I think the best place for us to start is kind of to get to know you a little bit, Um, you know, so can you tell us a little bit about you and like what got you interested in food? Okay, sure. Yeah, so I'll take you back probably. I was trying to think where do I start because it always starts from the beginning, right? Um, But I would say I probably first became very interested in food when I went on a trip to Moscow. And uh, this was actually part of my university program. And at the end of my program, a lot of our uh, students were invited to go to Moscow. And it was pretty cool. It was like a work term and you could go for six weeks. And um, you had the opportunity to sort of exchange learning with the professors there. And um, it might seem weird to you, but it was actually in 92. And this was the year, this was like right after the big coup. So all the sort of, there was tons of chaos in the country. And um, so anyways, I went there. So I was quite young, like young kind of, well, must have been about 19. So it was my first trip away from home. So needless to say, I was a little bit nervous, but I didn't really know I was nervous and um, didn't really know what I was getting into. Um, And basically what I experienced there was interesting. So this is sort of where my my, uh, connection to food sort of shifted. So there was not a lot of food there. So it was kind of just how you imagined it back in the day where um, you'd see lineups out by grocery stores for people trying to find food. It was, it was really like that. Um, we were fed by the university. So we stayed at Moscow State University. So we were fed by them. So they would provide us with kind of like a morning meal at around 10 o'clock. And um, it was, you know, it was like a borscht and like a big heavy bread. And so it was like food we're not used to eating. And at the time I was sort of just starting to shift to eat a little bit more healthy and try to focus more on vegetarian. Well, that wasn't going to go well in Moscow. And um, anyways, it was, it was an interesting shift in my relationship with food at that point. And it, it started a very unhealthy relationship with food. So I, I think what I was doing in Moscow was I started to realize, well, first of all, I wasn't getting enough nutrition. Uh, first, it wasn't available. And when we finally found like a grocery store where we could buy like food that we were familiar with, I would buy stuff, but then it would run out. And then it wouldn't really be a priority for me to go out and stock up again. So I often went to bed really hungry. And um, I, I, I just continued that. And this is so this I was there for a long time. There. I was there for six weeks. And so I was I was hungry for the majority of the time. And I got a little bit weird too. Like we would go out for pizza and people would get pizza, but I, for some reason, didn't want to eat the pizza there. Um, they fed us pigeon once and I thought it was chicken. And it was just all this like weird stuff happening that I wasn't super comfortable with. So I came back and I had lost a ton of weight, but 
the interesting thing, like people were like, oh my God. And it was, it was so much weight that people sort of looked at me and said, are you okay? It was that much weight because I kind of grew up up to that point. I was a little bit chubby, actually. I grew up kind of a little bit fat in a way, um, overweight. Um, so anyway, but what was interesting was I felt good. Like I, in, in restricting my food, it was like a feeling of clarity and, and loads of energy. And I think, you know, in hindsight, I've looked back at it. I think it was because I wasn't eating inflammatory foods, right? Um, it always makes sense in hindsight, but basically that sort of set up a really bad relationship food through my, all of my twenties. And I went from periods of starving myself to binging because eventually I got just really hungry and I would start to eat way too much. And it just, and it, it was weird because I was very intellectually aware of what I was doing and realizing that it was not good for me. Uh, but this is kind of where my, my interest in food began because I realized how it had such a huge impact on me. Like I would, I would have some, I had some big, big lows in my twenties, some great highs, but my lows were really low to the mm. point where I, I think I was probably depressed and, um, you know, I wouldn't go to some social things on certain days when I felt maybe fat or I don't know, I just didn't do well. It was all mental, right? Um, and so it was, it was, it was big, my twenties. I did learn a lot about the impact of food in a positive and a negative way. So that's where I'm, it began. Yeah. I'm sure a lot of that now kind of informs the way that you, um, look at food, the way you talk about food, uh, yeah. experiencing sort of the both spectrums of being super, super hungry to eating and just eating whatever, because mm-hmm. you're hungry. Yeah, because it's really not about the food at the end of the day. Yeah, it's more to it. So I, it definitely impacts the way I look at food. It's, it's a lot more than that. Like I had done something to my brain chemistry and it was off. It wasn't balanced. Right. So I wasn't making great decisions. Um, right. Yeah. So and most... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, um, without you know, spending too much time talking about the story, is quite long, but I got quite sick actually when I was 30. And uh, I mean, it was a series of things that were happening. My dad was dying. Um, I was in a really, really stressful um, job. It's just the project that I was on at the time. And so I was working a lot of hours and, um, and, and then my, I was a bit of a perfectionist. And uh, I think all of those things kind of created the perfect storm and I got, and I got sick and I wasn't getting answers. And so probably spent thousands and thousands of dollars and thousands and thousands of hours on trying to figure out what was going on with me. So, um, so that's where my journey started into natural health. So I became a nutritionist, I studied yoga, and then just really was on a quest to just figure things out. Thank you for sharing that. Um, because I'm sure your story, um, others have experienced similar things, right? So it kind of, you know, builds some context um, for the discussions that we're going to have, because obviously in your thousands of hours and thousands of dollars, you've learned some things um, that you can sort of share in hopes that it may be, uh, you know, a guiding light to somebody else. Um, You mentioned yoga. Uh, So let's just, uh, let's just chat a little bit about that like what what made you decide to um, start yoga and um, you know how did that piece fit into your whole health picture? Yeah, it's a great question. Like it, um, it I never really ever saw myself doing yoga because I didn't feel stressed at the time. But here's the interesting part: when I got sick, 
Um, my main, you know, my GP and my doctors basically were just saying, oh, you're stressed. And this is kind of what I want people to take from this is that, you know, when someone says you're stressed, I used to take it, I used to get offended by that. I'm like, what, stressed? I'm not stressed. And I'm like, how dare you call me stressed? I'm strong and I'm independent. I'm, you know, um, but it wasn't, I don't, and I think what, what I didn't understand what stress was. And so what I did was I tried to do everything I could to figure out how to keep my stress down. And, you know, after they were telling me I was stressed, I was also feeling stressed because I couldn't get answers. I, I didn't know what was going on with my body. Um, like just to give you an example with getting in, without getting into a lot of details, having, I had a couple of panic attacks, which I didn't know what they were at the time, but I had, I went into the, I was, I went into the emergency room hospital um, a, a few times on a few occasions because I was getting all these weird things happening in my body where I felt like I was going to pass out and lose control of my brain. Um, it was like tingly through my whole body, you know, hands and feet, things like that. And, um, you know, the doctor said that I had really, really low blood insulin or blood sugar and low insulin, but they didn't really, they said, you know, I, I, they'd say things like, oh, I just, I've never seen this before. So I don't know. So it must be stress. And so I'm like, okay, I got to figure this out. And so I need to manage my stress because I could feel my worry. Right. And it's almost like I wouldn't always feel stressed, but I knew that underlying stress was driving it. So I, I took my first yoga class and it was in this woman's basement and uh, she was, she was amazing. And I, after my first class, I, I think it was the first time I felt that level of calm. You know, it's like one of those things where it, until you have that perspective, you don't realize that you're stressed. But then I was like, wow, that felt really good. And then so I continued uh, to do yoga and study it like crazy. And of course, I became a yoga teacher because that's what I tend to do is I want to always understand things. I'm very analytical. And uh, so I studied it and, uh, and just realized the power was a lot, lot more than I thought. It's a lot more than just doing those yoga poses. It, it, it has a powerful impact on everything in the body. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, because it forces you to go within and, mm -hmm. it, and it forces, and just like from a strictly exercise perspective, holding some of those poses is hard, you know, it makes, you, makes your muscles burn. It's uncomfortable. You know, I don't want to, you know, at first at the beginning, it's like, oh, this, this is nice. And then you're like, wow, when do I get out of this pose? And so I think there's a mental component of like building resiliency mm -hmm. against discomfort. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so they kept saying you're stressed, you're stressed. Like, what did you, like, why? Obviously, like if somebody's telling you you're stressed, you're going to be like, okay, well, I need to figure out like why. And so in your attempts to manage it, like why, why did you feel that it became so important aside from the fact that people were just telling you? So important to manage my stress. Yeah. Yeah. Like. What well, did you I, discover in the process of trying to manage your stress? Yeah. So all the time I was trying to get answers, I, I was reading, I was devouring every book I could find. And I think one of the books I may have stumbled across was by Carolyn Miss. I don't know if I'm saying her name, her name right. Carolyn Miss, M-Y-S-S. And she's really interesting. And she talks a lot about how thoughts and, um, and energy can, can link to certain diseases and illnesses. So I was studying a lot about, you know, blood sugar, blood sugar control, blood sugar levels. And, um, it was really clear in, in my study that there 
there was a huge link with stress and, and blood sugar levels. And so, um, and it wasn't just, um, I think what I, what I walked away with too, is that stress is not just, you know, deep breathing is not going to fix your stress because um, it becomes physiological. And once it becomes physiological, once it's in your body, you need to correct that imbalance as well. And so everything is just so linked, you know, the mind, body, spirit, there's so much to that. And, and I really believe that. And so I think I was trying to approach my, my illness on all different levels because I wasn't getting answers with just um, approaching it from just the physical symptoms. Right. So. Yeah. A uh, whole, whole body, whole person. Um, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I think part of that understanding uh, that, or the link that some people miss is the biological factor, right? Like that you're feeling stress and okay, well, if I just like take the day off work and like, you know, sit and yeah, I don't know, do something relaxing like that, that in and of itself is going to be enough. Um, but I think that it's much more Mm-hmm. Because there's, you know, you don't just wake up one day and be like, oh, today I'm, I'm feeling stressed. Like there's so many processes that kind of like are working underneath mm-hmm. that are less obvious. Absolutely. Like, absolutely. Because even just, you know, in what I've learned, just thinking about, you know, I may have been starting my day with a piece of whole wheat toast. And what I didn't know at the time was that um, wheat is high inflammatory food. And I was already tippy, not feeling so great, right? Challenged um, nutritionally. And when I started my day with that, what it was doing was it was creating a low grade inflammation in my body. And inflammation can be confusing for people because I think when people think of inflammation, they think of, oh, you know, like a sore joint or I hurt my knee and it's red and irritated. So that's inflammation, but inflammation can happen without us knowing. And that's, that's the problem. That's where it gets complicated because, um, you know, that, that wheat could then create a chronic inflammation, very low level. So it's very subtle. Like you don't realize it's there. Like for me, it was anxiety. So it was creating a low level of anxiety. So an event for me would have felt way more stressful than that same event for you because I had that low level of anxiety happening in my body. Does that make sense? Like, so that's, I think that's where I didn't really get it at the time. Um, I totally get it because in like pain neuroscience, right. We're mm-hmm. talking about the excitability of nerves. So how mm-hmm. much, how much input is needed for that nerve to send a message to the brain? Right. Yes. And for some people I could you know, take a Q-tip and run across their skin. And that is exciting enough mm-hmm. to elicit a pain response versus mm-hmm. somebody would be like, uh, you're rubbing me with a Q-tip, right? Like mm-hmm. it would just, it would, it, two different spectrums. Um, and I think what we're trying to understand in pain science is like, well, what makes one person so mm-hmm. sensitive and somebody not so sensitive. And I think some of that definitely plays with that low level um, mm-hmm. inflammation because beside each nerve junction is an immune cell. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so having said that, you know, nerves firing and, and your um, immune system being so close, how do you understand the role of stress as it, as it relates to inflammation? Yeah. You come to understand the link. 
Yeah. So, you know, I try to explain it in a, in a really simple way. And um, I guess probably the best thing to understand is that when you're stressed, so, you know, back in the day when you experienced a stress, um, likely you were trying to run away from a tiger or something. It was like, is a big stress, right? And so our bodies are wired to respond a certain way to that stress. And, and a couple of things that happen are your non-essential functions stop because they're not needed during an emergency situation. So uh, like blood goes to your limbs, you can run fast, your heart, so you can beat fast and, you know, and all the hormones are, are creating this and making this happen, cortisol and, um, epinephrine. And, um, and what happens is, you know, that's a good thing, right? It, it kind of gives you that power and that energy to, to manage with the stress, the stress in the short term. But what's happening is um, we are experiencing stress after stress after stress after stress. Like our world is stressful. It really is. I mean, we've got so many more stresses today than we did, you know, even, even 20 years ago. And, um, and our bodies are just never coming down. So it's like we're living in this constant state of a low level inflammation without even realizing it. And it's because our body is reacting to this stress and it's staying there. Like the chemicals are being secreted all the time instead of just short term and then going back to normal. And so it's, it can cause a real problem for the body. And, um, you know, and it's different for different people depending on where your weak point is, you know, so for some people um, you might have some, chronic inflammation in your digestive system. And it could, you know, could be things like, you know, heartburn and, you know, GI upset, things like that. And you don't really think about it as inflammation, right? You just think about it as, oh, I have like a weak digestion. Yeah. IBS, I'm thinking. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, um, you know, and even more subtle things like acne, right? That, that can definitely be an indication of some um, inflammation in the gut. So, um, so I think, you know, people, I, you know, stress is big and, and stress can be caused by so many different things and food. Yes. Um, everything in your life, like every choice, everything you do will either feed inflammation or calm it. And so I think it's just important to start just learning what you can and just making little changes um, to help to, to quell that inflammation. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think that's a, an important thing to note is like, we're kind of on Mm-hmm. Right. It's like the light switch is on all the time. Yeah. Um, you know, everything. So um, I need it now. Um, I need to be available all the time uh, at a moment's notice. Right. And so we're always kind of just like on waiting for like the next yeah. demand on our mm-hmm. on our lives. Um mm-hmm. I'm not really sure what the, you know, what the right answer is to deal with all of that in a modern, you know, in a modern world. Like we have these um, demands, I think the important piece is to recognize in your body, mm-hmm. right? Cause your body's going to be the signal that like things yeah. are going to start happening and yeah. we need to start listening to those things in our body to recognize, okay, things mm-hmm. are getting a little out of hand. And then from that moment, reevaluating, what is it that I need to begin to change? Absolutely. Sometimes it could be as simple as, oh, I, I'm going to take three deep yogic breaths. And, and it doesn't even have to, you don't have to call it a yoga breath. It makes sense to complicated. Yeah. Really, all it is, is a belly breath. Like you're breathing deeply because most of us never live down there. We live and we breathe in the upper part of our, our lungs. We don't breathe deeply and our emotions and our stress are deeply connected to our breath. Like if you think about it, like when you're scared, right? Someone scares you, you're like, <gasps> right? 
you can see that that connection and emotion to your breathing is, is real apparent. And so if, you, if that happens, then what you want to understand is that you can control your emotions and your response to things just by changing your breathing. So you do have a sense of control around that. And so there's a lot of little things you can do like that. It's just, you know, trying to incorporate, you know, deep breathing into your day. So for me, like every time I go up and down stairs, that's my cue to deep breathe. Or every time I stop at stoplights when I'm driving, that's my cue to deep breathe. Absolutely. And it's so simple. It doesn't require any anything special, right? It just requires us kind of um, in the beginning thinking, like prioritizing so yeah. that um, eventually it becomes automatic, right? So you say the stairs or, or the um, stoplight, those become the cues. Um, but because you've done it so often... Uh, your brain just kind of naturally wants to go there. Um, Mm -hmm. But, but you have to prioritize it. Otherwise it's not, it's just not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And then it feels stressful to get to that yoga class. (laughs) And you don't want that. You don't want it to be stressful. You want it to be easy. Exactly. So talking about inflammation and certainly acting Mm -hmm. on the body, I mean, you've brought up points uh, centered around like digestion um, and, you know, acne, um, you brought up some examples. What are, you know, how, how is inflammation working on the body? Like how, what is it doing? Yeah. So inflammation, like I said, on the short term, it's a good thing because what it does is it's, um, it's the immune system kind of launching a response to fix you, you know? So if it's a virus, it's launching a response to go and to send some chemicals out to that, to that location and to kill those viruses. Or if it's an injury, it's sending chemicals out to help the tissues to swell and bring blood flow into the area and to heal that area. So it's a good thing in the short term. So you want that, you want that immune response to happen. But the problem is when it's happening all the time, then, and those chemicals are in that area all the time, it can cause, for example, like tissues and and joints to leak fluid and become irritated. And so when those tissues become irritated, that's when the problems start to begin because irritation leads to pain. And so that's why often some inflammatory conditions do bring pain with them, like joint pain, you know, arthritis, certain types of arthritis, um, you'll feel the pain. However, other types of inflammation that are long, um, more chronic in nature, um, won't bring pain because there maybe aren't a lot of nerves in that area. So you won't necessarily be triggered to, to notify you that there's inflammation in that area, but it creates an irritation. And it can happen really in any uh, organ. It can. Um, and it, you're, you're right. It could manifest as pain, but it, it will certainly manifest as some sort of symptom or something just you're going to f- yeah. feel like something is off or, you know, mm-hmm. chronic headaches or, or yeah. just like, there's going to be some kind of trigger to alert yeah. you. Yeah. Um, it's just not going to tell you what, it, like what the problem is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Here's an interesting story that I, I find, um, you know, eye opening. I guess in the area of inflammation is, you know, one of our, our clients was a, a child, an eight year old, and he all of a sudden developed OCD type behaviors. And was worried about everything, like getting sick, um, feeling like he was going to die. And just like, all, it was like pretty quick. And um, after, to make a long story short, we sort of brought him into the clinic and we did some live blood analysis on him. And based on the symptoms, like he had a sore stomach. 
that was really it. He had had a flu like a couple months earlier and then it went away. It was nothing big. And then he had just like kind of this ongoing tummy ache, but it, you know, the parents didn't really think anything of it because the kid always had tummy aches, right? Cause he was little, he was, you know, sometimes nervous about going to school. Uh, but when we brought him in and we did that live blood analysis appointment on him. So basically what that is, is it takes a prick of blood from your finger and we look under the microscope and you can see the cells and you can see the terrain and you can kind of see what's going on. Um, they found a virus and it was a strep virus. And um, so what happened was once we got rid of that strep virus, the anxiety went away. So the body was creating an inflammation which, which presented as anxiety because it was trying to kill this virus. And it was like a low grade strep. It was just, you know, there was a few virus still there sitting in the stomach. And so for that little kid, it, it showed up in the stomach and it showed up through the nervous system. Interesting. And so another example that, you know, it's actually called Panda. It's actually a thing. I don't know if you've heard of it, but no. yeah, it's called Panda. And it, if your kid all of a sudden gets OCD type behaviors, then check for a virus, check for strep. And the swab actually showed for strep, showed strep as well. Oh, so interesting. Okay. Yeah. yeah. The second nobody, swab, nobody would have thought to do the strip test. No, are not the strip. <laughs> yeah. 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 They, they, they've seen this quite yeah. often, but, but no one, I wouldn't normally have thought. Yeah. Well, because if you're not having a cough. Yeah. Right. Like it you up in the throat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, that's really, really, uh, really interesting. That's that's a good story because I'm sure there's parents out there who may have a kid that's got you know this tummy ache that just you mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. isn't uh, isn't going away. So that might be something to take yeah. a look at. Okay, let's talk about food mm-hmm. um, because there are some foods that are inflammatory. I mean, you talked about yeah. wheat, um, yeah. like there's just so much information out there and like, it's just, it's really hard for people to figure this out. Um, but are there some common typical types of food that, um, are inflammatory? So like if somebody wanted to experiment elimination diet type thing, like what, what are some key things that people could start with? Yeah. Um, so I think the most common inflammatory foods are, are wheat so wheat is number one. So I mentioned that. Um, another one is sugar. So just refined white sugar can be very inflammatory. There's tons of studies on too, if you start digging, um, that it actually lowers the immune system. There was uh, one study done on mice where they fed the, the mice sugar for a period of time, and these mice developed breast cancer. And they, they linked it right back to the, um, the sugar, the diet of sugar. So there, there are loads of studies that show sugar can be inflammatory. So, and it's not hard to switch out. And we've got some, some good blogs on the website that shows you how to kind of switch it out. Like coconut sugar is a great alternative as well as some natural stevia. Um, there, are, there are other choices that, you know, if, if you're worried about your kids rebelling, there's definitely things that they will like and enjoy. Um, so sugar is a big one. Corn is a big one. Corn is very uh, modified, genetically modified, and it can be very difficult to digest. And so that can also be an inflammatory food. So it's one of the top foods. Um, also soy, um, soy is highly processed as well. So although we sometimes hear it's healthy, if you're going to have soy, then make sure you're getting the organic, um, non modified. And if you have thyroid issues, don't, don't have soy, 
but um, mostly a little bit of soy if it's organic is okay for people. But here's the thing, everyone's biochemically different. So soy might be inflammatory for me, but not for someone else. So sometimes you just have to be a little bit careful and maybe do some experimentation. Um, dairy. So dairy, I know there's a lot of uh, controversy around dairy and, you know, all the marketing recently has been around, no, we don't put hormones in our dairy, but it's more than that. It's more than just the hormones. So commercial dairy, it's pretty, right? It's white. It's pretty. It tastes good. Well, it doesn't come out of the cow looking that way. Um, so we have to make it look pretty and taste better. So we, we heat it and it's bleached. So it's very um, processed. It's a processed food. And, and generally when you process a food, it becomes inflammatory in the body. The body doesn't recognize it. There's usually some chemicals in there or there's you know, some minerals or vitamins taken out. And so when the body doesn't recognize it, it, it becomes inflammatory in the body. So dairy is a big one as well. And, uh, and even um, meats, like um, especially cured meats and um, if you're uh, barbecuing meats, like the black on the meat is very inflammatory. If you're, if you're choosing to eat meat, and I, I believe that some people need meat, um, so I'm not saying to go vegetarian, because vegetarian isn't for everyone. However, vegetables are anti-inflammatory, so you want to get loads of those. Uh, but I, I would say cutting down on meat can be helpful, or at least um, choosing grass-finished meat is, is the way to go. And so that can be confusing for people as well, because I think people are seeing all the grass-fed uh, but grass-fed just means that, you know, the cows or the animals have access to eat grass, but maybe it's only for one day. So you have to be careful because, again, it's marketing. Um, so it's best to look for a local farm that can kind of validate that their, their animals are fed purely on grass so that you know that you're getting um, a clean meat because otherwise our cows are eating the gluten. They're eating the soy. They're eating the corn, which then passes to us and creates inflammation in the body. So. So that's also a big one. And um, those are the, oh, chocolate can sometimes be for some people, especially if it's headaches and migraines. Interesting. Yeah. Um, that's, I think, a good uh, list to start with. Uh, mm -hmm. I have a question about the sugar piece because um, you mentioned stevia, coconut, sugar. Um, what makes that type of sugar? different from the white sugar? It's a great question. And uh, the, the sugars like coconut sugar are not processed as processed. So they, they still have the minerals intact. And so it's, it's when you start messing with the minerals and you start dyeing it, like white sugar is beautiful again. It's white and, you know, clearly it's been bleached and uh, colored. And so you'll notice with coconut sugar, it's just brown looking and it's not been processed at all. Um, and so it still has those minerals intact and can be, can, can be healthier because it's less processed. Right. Yeah. Probably shouldn't, like, probably shouldn't eat too much of it, I would think. Like, it, oh, yeah, like, like it's I still... It's more of a food to help you transition away from sugar. Like, you're better having a little bit of, you know, coconut sugar in your coffee as opposed to white sugar if you're starting to shift. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to kind of like understand the, the difference sort of between, between the uh, different types of sugars. Mm -hmm. um, we, so you brought up an interesting 
um, point when you talked about meat and the packaging and the, you know, it's saying grass fed and, and soy people think like, isn't tofu made out of soy? Yes. Okay. Right. So tofu has this sort of, to me, has like the way I see tofu in my brain is like, oh, this is healthy. Um, let's talk about so-called healthy foods. Okay. That may not actually be that healthy. Mm -hmm. And what does that mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've got some master marketers out there. So you really have to kind of do your homework and, uh, or listen to your favorite nutritionists and let them do the work for you uh, because it can be confusing. And I think probably the biggest food that kind of sticks out in my mind that is marketed as healthy and isn't are yogurts, like commercial yogurts. And the reason for that is most, most yogurts are very high in sugar. And you'll notice that, um, well, let's kind of just back up. So our manufacturers, are, their number one goal is, is not nutrition. It's to make a food taste good and look good. Okay, so that's their priority. And to make you want to buy it. And so that's why you're seeing, because probiotics have become a, become a thing, that's why you're seeing a lot of yogurts marketed as, oh, probiotics added. But it's, it's marketing. It's, most of them generally don't have enough probiotics to make a difference in you. And if they do, they've added a lot of sugar in there and taken away a lot of healthy fat um, to make that product taste good and appealing for kids. And, um, and so it's not a healthy food. It can be inflammatory because of the sugar and the dairy and the processing of the product. It's not a whole food, especially if you see fat free, it's, it's not a whole food. If you're going to go for yogurts, um, what you'll want to do is pick an organic one and a Greek, like actually a high fat, fat one is actually the way to go because it's not going to peak your blood sugar levels and it's not going to have that additional sugar in there. So a plain, and then you can just sweeten it yourself. Like maybe put some berries in there or um, I love putting dried fruit in my, in my yogurt, like cutting up some dates or um, dried cranberries or things like that to just make it feel sweet. Cause we all, we want to feel sweet and we want to, we want to have all the tastes. Otherwise we're going to left feeling like we want something and we don't want that. You want to you want to satisfy all of those different cravings um, because your body needs them for certain reasons. So so yogurt, I would say, is probably the biggest one, and um, and maybe the second would be granola bars, granola bars mm. and cereals, like because granola bars. I mean, let's let's be honest. We're busy, and you know when you have kids, it's just so easy to throw a granola bar in our kids' lunches and. Funny, I remember when uh, my kids were young and, um, and you know, he had, when they did their sports and you had to bring like food for the kids, the other kids, every parent had to do it. Well, at the time my kids were eating gluten-free and dairy-free, like hundred um, percent. That's a whole other podcast. <laughs> but um, but uh, uh, so I remember like, I was like, oh, I can have, I can make granola bars. And so I made these granola bars and I brought them in a bin and, and it was more just because I wanted to accommodate kids with allergies because I, I got that. And, uh, but the kids like walked over and they looked at it and some of them walked away and uh, cause it wasn't in a package. And, and then I, I actually made them come back and try it and then they loved it. But I think that there's something appealing about like, you know, the packaging of those really cool granola bars. So 
companies know that. And, and a lot of our granola bars contain um, high fructose corn syrup, which is not a great food. It's very unhealthy. That's one thing you definitely want to keep out of your kids' diets if you can, high fructose corn syrup. And then most of them have really long ingredient lists with lots of things that maybe you can't pronounce. Um, anything that ends in OS, O-S-E, is a sugar. Okay, so they're trying to hide it by not saying sugar, but it's going to be sucrose, fructose, and a whole bunch of oses. <laughs> so anything that has an os, you probably um, like want to try to avoid it or, or see less, less sugar in those. So yeah, granola bars are often uh, very unhealthy. Uh, so reading labels might be important. <laughs> yes, reading labels are really important. And uh, I have to say, I'm pretty proud because when I shop with my kids, they actually always pick up the box and read the labels because I've taught them. Um, although they're not perfect, don't get me wrong. They still love their treats. And, uh, and, and once in a while, to be honest, I will buy them junk food. Like I bought those bear paws once. And I, but I explained my reasoning. Like I don't want them to feel deprived because you don't want to create that. But I let them have it once. And, you know, sometimes on vacation, I'll buy them total junk. And, uh, but, but what I'm teaching them is most times you want to pick the healthier stuff. And um, so reading labels is really important and you'll get used to it. I think probably to make it more simple is generally if you shop in the health section or a health food store, most of the options there tend to be a little bit healthier because they don't use the, um, the corn syrup, like I mentioned. Um, they'll have healthier sugars in there. However, some of them will be high in sugar. I try to say try to stay below five grams of sugar if you can, um, or seven. You know, sometimes it's hard to go below five, but even below seven is great. And try to look for things that have at least be more than three grams of fiber, and um, and and that's then that that will help balance blood sugar levels. And uh, if not, then you just send along some healthy treats with it. But um, made good bars are pretty decent. Um, some of those whole food bars, if your kids will eat them, like Lara bars are pretty, pretty okay as well. So there's definitely more options out there. And, um, um, but yeah, making sure that you can just pronounce all of the ingredients is, is something to look out for and just minimize sugar, high fiber, and no um, corn syrup. You use the word whole foods. Mm -hmm. I just want to define for the listeners, like, what is a whole food? What's considered okay. a whole food? So it's something that hasn't been tampered with by man, I guess. And so, you know, um, so like an apple would be a whole food. What's wrong yeah. with an apple? I don't know. <laughs> and you can put some nut butter on there. But yeah, it's... Um, you know, some people say anything out of a package is considered processed, but sometimes whole foods come in packages now, so that doesn't always work. But um, yeah, a processed food is generally is something that's yeah been sort of messed with. Like I'll use bread as an example, because this can be a confusing one, like a whole grain bread. People think whole grain, that's what I'm supposed to eat. Um, but if you look at the ingredients, you'll see often refined wheat flour or um, all these different types of flours. And what happens is with a, with a refined food, um, the manufacturer takes things out and puts things back in, but in the wrong proportion. And so when you eat a food that's incomplete, so not whole in its natural form, um, your body has to steal from other parts of your body, like your tissues, your blood, your bones, to be able to absorb and digest that food. So you're kind of 
pulling your minerals um, just by eating a processed food. And another example is like an egg. I'm always like, eat the whole egg, you guys. <laughs> Enough of the white eggs. You need, you need the whole egg. You need the fat in the egg yolks to digest the rest of the egg. So it's actually a good thing to eat the whole egg. Interesting. Whole yeah, yeah. I, I think that's kind of, um, I, I think, an important way to talk about it. And, and you sort of alluded to this um, for my next question, which is like talking about like how processed food actually leads to inflammation. So you're saying... So first and foremost, if you have processed foods, it's got all this stuff that the body doesn't recognize. And so mm -hmm. it sends the immune system into action for no other yeah. reason other than to determine, is this thing dangerous? Yes. Right? Do I yeah. need to get rid of it? Yeah. Um, and certainly, I, I, I'm certain that our immune system, well, maybe it is smart enough to know how many like troops to send out, but mm -hmm. but sometimes that can be dis, you know, uh, disproportional, uh, how much immune response is needed for, you know, for the attack. Um, mm -hmm. but then you were saying how in order to process some of this food, it's going to pull from other parts of the body. So like that can't be good. No. <laughs> yeah. So like, I that, really don't want to lose calcium from my bones. Well, and that, you know, and that's a real problem in North America is we have the highest osteoporosis um, rates in North America. And, and one of the bigger differences, well, for sure, overall diet, but dairy can be one of them. And, you know, I think it's confusing for people thinking, oh, I need to get more and more and more and more calcium. But it's not just about the calcium. It's also about the magnesium and the vitamin D to get that calcium into you. But yeah, you want to make sure you're getting a load of minerals to counteract. So if you're having processed foods and Hey, we're not perfect. So we're going to have, we're going to have processed foods. Yeah. It's going to so, happen. Yeah. There's some little things that you can do. Like, you know, even just by um, nuts and seeds are a fantastic way to get minerals. And so I used to make this little blend I done it in a while, but it was amazing. You grind up pumpkin seeds, sesame seeds, sunflower seeds, flax seeds into a little sprinkle. And then you sprinkle it into the kids oatmeal. And then you're just loading minerals into their diet so that you don't feel guilty when you send them with those, you know, the granola bars and, and things to, to school. And um, yeah, so nuts and seeds are great. And if your kids will eat those, if that, you know, if you can introduce them when they're fairly young, that's when they develop their tastes for them. Um, same with omega-3 fatty acids. Omega-3s are really important for keeping inflammation down. We get too many omega-6s in our diets if we're eating those granola bars and those muffins and, and bagels and things. Um, so we need to really ramp up the omega-3s and that comes from things like fish and, you know, the fatty fishes like salmon and tuna and mackerel and sardines. And, um, uh, but also from uh, flax seeds, if you want to get flax seeds and, um, so having that little powder, that, that flaxseed mix is great for that. Um, and then always, you know, giving your kids fish oil and yourself, making sure that you take those omega-3 fish oils will help as well with that inflammation. And um, yeah, so uh, do you want me to talk about other foods? For well, I, I was just, I was literally okay. going to segue and okay. say, well, those are really good examples of anti-inflammatory foods. Mm -hmm. What else might be on that list? <laughs> <laughs> so um, interestingly, tomatoes are pretty good. Now, some people, see, this is the thing where everyone's a little bit different. So you have to do a bit of experimentation, but tomatoes are generally pretty good for most people. Um, for an anti-inflammatory food. However, there are some people that it will trigger achiness if they have arthritis because it's a nightshade vegetable. And so for those who uh, have arthritis 
issues, um, joint pain, then sometimes avoiding nightshade vegetables will help. But generally, um, green leafies are definitely a way to go like, or, or broccoli, um, cruciferous vegetables are fantastic, but green leafies, if you can throw spinach or kale in a smoothie, for example, in the morning, um, is, it's a great way to up those vitamins. I always try if there's like, if you can try to get dark green leafies in your diet at least once a day, that's awesome. If you can do it three times a week, that's okay too. Um, and like I said, fatty fish, berries are fantastic. So that's definitely something we focus on um, in our family. We try to eat berries every day. The antioxidant protect, uh, protection is fantastic. And um, it's a low glycemic fruit. So it doesn't have as much fructose, which sometimes in excess can cause inflammation. So berries are fantastic. And um, raspberries, blueberries, blackberries, any type of berry. Uh, so I would say those are my favorites. Green tea um, is a great drink for addressing inflammation. And if, some, if you don't handle caffeine very well, then what you can do is if you, you, you can get the, I prefer not the decaf stuff because sometimes they use chemicals to decaffeinate it. But if you just dip the tea bag a couple of times, dump that water out and then pour water over the rest of the tea bag, you're still getting the polyphenols, you know, the, the healing benefits of the green tea without the caffeine. That's a great way to, um, to decrease inflammation and turmeric. Turmeric is an amazing spice. So adding it to your food. Um, I like to use it in essential oil form as well. And um, even taking a supplement, if you know that you really are focusing on um, something currently around inflammation. And then something to be aware of too, is like as people enter their menopause years, you have to work harder to keep inflammation down. And so adding an anti-inflammatory food like turmeric to your daily diet is, is a great idea also. So though I would, I would say those are my top ones, but just, you know, really focus on lots of fruits and veggies, like really keeping it simple and picking all the different colors, uh, making sure that your plate is half filled with veggies. Yeah. And, um, and that's kind of a good guideline. I can't remember where I read this. Uh, it could be, um, um, could be, I follow Dr. Mark Hyman. He's a functional oh, medicine okay. doctor. I think, I think he said it, but I'm not yeah. sure if it's his or he's quoting somebody else, but it was like, eat food, uh, not too much, mostly plants. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's great advice. Yeah. Yeah. And like, he'll talk about eating meat as like treat meat, like as a condiment, right? Like if you're going to have okay. it, have a small portion yeah. size of it. Yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah. I thought those were really great, like little. Yeah. Um, Same with dairy. Yeah. yeah. Use dairy as a condiment, like a little bit of feta cheese on a salad is okay. And yeah, just not make it the whole thing. Yeah. 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 Um, so you've talked about a lot of interesting things, Linda. Um, if people want to follow, learn more, um, where can people find you? We have a webpage. So it's uh, balancepointhc, as in healthcenter.com. Uh, uh, we also have an Instagram account, so Balance Point HC as well. And, uh, and then I have my own personal page, uh, Linda underscore Lukovic. We can maybe put it under for people so you won't know how to spell that one. But I also share a lot of information there. And uh, so any of those places you can find us. We have tons of blogs and recipes on our website as well that you might find interesting. Lots Wonderful. Of Wonderful. And, and for those people who are like, I don't know how to spell, or I just want to double check that I have the links correctly, we will add those links to the show notes so that it makes it easy for you to, uh, to, to click it. Um, 
So Linda, I want to thank you so much for taking time to educate us um, on this important topic and uh, just thank you for sharing your wisdom. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me, Madeline. Thanks so much. You're welcome. And thank you uh, to our listeners. Um, if you haven't already subscribed to the podcast, make sure you do subscribe because, you know, every week is a new episode, a new topic and something new to learn. So you don't want to miss out. So make sure to subscribe. We're on Spotify, iTunes, Google, Android, um, any of those platforms where podcasts are listed, or you can just access the podcast directly from our website, ecophysio.com under the podcast tab. Um, and and that's, that's it for today. Thanks for listening. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to Living a Better Life podcast. Make sure to subscribe to our show to stay up to date with our latest and greatest episodes. We would also love to hear your comments, suggestions, and reviews. Thanks again. Until the next episode. Bye for now.